From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 292. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Squarespace, Linode, and Eero. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by the intrepid Jason Snell. Hello. Oh, intrepid. Hi, Mike. How are oh. you? I am fine, my friend. How are you? Uh, just uh, great. You know, again, we are two of the people least affected by what's going on in the world because we stay inside and mm-hmm. work inside all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it makes me feel a little bit strange. And of course, my entire family is is in my house now. So, yep. you know, it's it's uh, we live in strange times, strange times. But we're here to keep on yep. keeping on. And yeah. Marcus has a hashtag snow talk question, which is... Jason, what's your desktop background, and does it serve any purpose other than decoration? Any So the any purpose thing is what got me about this question. Well, I've seen people that design like desktop backgrounds to have calendars on them and stuff, you know? Uh, yeah, oh, that's weird. Or, or I mean, I, I shouldn't judge or that. Or like motivational messages, that kind of stuff. I was thinking like a grid with like little play or little like little places where you put files okay. in various places yeah like you see that a lot with ios apps uh, ios like desktops right people draw little app icons where app icons could go and that kind of stuff yeah exactly i think um so i actually just wrote a piece that uh, we can link to in the show notes about mm-hmm. my uh my messy desktop and how i've actually changed yeah let's not go into approach... too much detail there i have that maybe as a uh oh it's quiet this week <laughs> We're going to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, sure. About cleaning up my desktop. <laughs> yeah, we will see. We're going to be careful here. You will see. So okay, the short version is I can see more of my desktop than I used uh-huh. to. And I have a 27-inch iMac Pro, so it, it there's a lot of desktop there. Uh, but the truth is, and you can see it in that screenshot, no, I it, it serves no other purpose than decoration. Uh, and what I actually use as my desktop background is from an app called downlink hmm. which you can get at downlinkapp.com hmm. and it accesses the satellite imagery real time ish you know 15 minute increments or whatever satellite imagery from various uh, satellites uh, above uh, the earth and so ah. i have a shot of the west coast of north america out into the pacific ocean out past hawaii as my desktop background and that changes you know every so often during the day. So Very right now nice. when I look at it, I actually can see the Terminator uh, between here and Hawaii because the sun hasn't come up in Hawaii yet. And I can see the clouds over California. And, you know, if it's a clear day, then it'll be clear over California. And it's uh, it's just, it's pretty. And I can see down through Baja, California and uh, and the Sea of Cortez and all of that. And yeah, it's, uh, that's so that's what I do is I just have uh, the earth from space and my particular corner of the earth. Very nice, very nice. If you would like to send in a Snell Talk question for a future episode, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk, and it may be included, like Marcus's was. Uh, we should move on to some follow-up. So iWork and iMovie. So the iWork apps on iOS or iPadOS and iMovie have all been updated to take use of Apple's new trackpad cursor support stuff on iPadOS. Yeah. I've been really happy with the changes to numbers specifically. Um, I, I think it's wonderful. Uh, being able to like see hovers and and to be able to very easily move stuff around and there's a lot of usage of custom cursors that Apple have made um, right. in these applications. Um, like for example, in in Keynote, you can rotate imagery and stuff, and they've made like a custom little rotate, like two little arrows pointing in like curved circles around where the cursor is. So I, I'm or like the cursor turns into those is probably a better thing to say. So yeah, I'm really excited to see more of this stuff. But I think what Apple have done to these applications is is really good. It's really good. 
I think the thing that hit me about the numbers update is it behaves in not always, but in many ways, just like numbers on the Mac in that, uh, and something about that got to me that, that if you've got a chart and you use the cursor and you click and you drag over items in the chart, it selects them, Mm. which is not groundbreaking at all. But that is not a concept that you really had on the iPad before. Nope. nope. To click and drag and basically lasso up a selection of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's just it, and and you do it because you think, oh well, I do this on the Mac, so I'll do it here, and it and it works, which is how it should be. Like even just the text selection, you know, like I'm really happy they brought that to Pages. The idea of just like I don't have to do something before I start selecting text. It's so different. Right. 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 Completely normal to me on the Mac, but is like an alien thing on on iPad OS, and I'm still getting used to it. But I love it. I also wanted to give a shout out to Fantastical. They had a fantastic update to support cursor support as well. To being able to now do things like drag and like extend an event over multiple days. Um, they've they've just put some really good stuff into it, like hovers and stuff like that. I, I'm really happy with. Uh, that's just like an app that I've seen that's really taken good advantage of it. So I want to keep calling these out as I see them because I think it's important to encourage this. And also, you know, people might not be checking these applications very much. You know, like if you're just used to using Touch. But did we mention last week's screens from Adobe? I think so, but it, it's actually gotten this, better since last yeah, week. So yeah, so they made it, they made a new update that hides the iPad cursor when you're using it. So if you're driving a remote computer, you see you move your trackpad or mouse or whatever yes. on the iPad, and it moves that cursor. And there's no double. They their first release, there was sort of like a double cursor, and then they use the new APIs to hide the cursor in that scenario. And now it's a. I think Federico wrote a piece last week where he referred to it as you know it's it's a it's Mac as an app. Yeah, it really is when you're in that scenario, which is great, especially if you're somebody like I don't. If I'm somewhere else in my house or elsewhere, really, um, and I'm using an iPad and I need to do something that I is specifically on a Mac, I have my Mac Mini server. It's always on, and mm-hmm. I can just open it up and do that thing. And now it feels completely natural if I'm using a, a trackpad and a keyboard. Super nice. Uh, turns out the 2020 iPad does have a feature we didn't know about that makes it uh-huh. different to the 2018 iPad. I'm going to read you something from an Apple support page uh, or security page. iPad models beginning in 2020 also feature the hardware microphone disconnect. When an MFI-compliant case, made-for-iPhone-compliant case, including those sold by Apple, is attached to the iPad and closed, the microphone is disconnected in hardware, preventing microphone audio data being made available to any software, even with root or kernel privileges in iPadOS or in, ca- or in case the firmware is compromised. So this is a feature that is in some T2-enabled Macs where you the microphone could just be shut off in basically in hardware, right? Um, yes. So there's no way that someone can actually turn yeah. it on when you haven't given it permission to be on. The microphone hardware disconnects when the lid is closed. And here the microphone is disconnecting when I'm assuming a magnet hits a particular yeah. part on the case and then it's popping, it's pulling the connection away. But it means that it's physically impossible. It can't be hacked um, uh, uh, the, the way you would have to hack it is you would also have to replace their case, <laughs> right? Yes. With one that doesn't have a magnet there or something. Because the normal set of magnets um, will, presumably one of them will pop that and then uh, there's no there's no microphone connection then. 
So again, this is not a reason to buy the 2020 no. iPad Pro, but it's an interesting change because what it shows is that Apple was thinking more and more about how to make these devices more uh, privacy conscious. I, I like the way that they've done this, you know, like with the case idea, because that is presuming you then are not using the iPad, so you're good, right? You've closed exactly. it up. Um, so I think that they've done a really good job with that. And references to, uh, well, a reference to the phrase AirTags has shown up in an Apple support <laughs> video for Find My. Uh, this is a recurring theme for mm. us, right? Which is what Apple, what what are you doing? Uh, let's, uh, let me say what this is and I'm going to come back to that. So okay. it, uh, the feature uh, is being shown off in a support page called Enable Offline Finding. So this will enable a device or paired AirTags to be found when not connected to Wi-Fi or cellular. And this is taking advantage of the ultra-wideband and or Bluetooth to basically locate a device or an AirTag via other people's iPhones and Macs, yeah. which is... I think this is the Bluetooth LE beacon, mm-hmm. which basically sends an ID and other devices see it and send it back to Apple and say, I saw this device at this place at this time. And that could, you know, you could argue that that's a, a privacy issue. So you can turn it on or you can turn it off as you see fit. So this is a like this is going to be the like must buy reason for AirTags, right? That you could put them in your bag, you could put them on your pet's collar or whatever, depending on how big they are, and you will be able to find this stuff by the use of the billions of Apple devices that exist in the world, right? It's going right. to absolutely destroy this market if you're a iPhone user. Um, or even if you're not, honestly, right? Like you just have an iPad, you pair it to something, you're great. You still take the use of it. Now, I think the reason this has happened is Apple have clearly delayed AirTags. It would seem, and and these, all of this stuff, all of these assets are created and they're put into systems, and then these systems release the assets, right? So, like these support videos were to be published for a, de- a device that exists. I think AirTags, we're not going to see them this year now huh. you, know, you don't want to know why jason tell me why because people aren't going outside are they how do you sell yeah. a product which is for in case you lose something if you're not leaving the home like yeah. how do you lose something? like i mean yes you can lose things in your house but i don't think that that is what this product will will be like mainly positioned for so i would be surprised to see this product launch in the current climate that we're in because the the main <laughs> selling feature is kind of nullified, and it would be really weird to market this product. Yeah, um, we'll talk about Quibi later. <laughs> um, speaking yeah. of products that maybe shouldn't be mm-hmm. launching right now, but I, I agree with you that I think one of the reasons that this AirTag stuff and the U1 chip um, are, are happening is because this is a product that Apple thought would be ready at various times and then turns out isn't. And so they're, they're proceeding under the assumption that it's in there and then they have to take it out and they didn't take it out of every, every bit of documentation and Mm -hmm. therefore you end up leaking it. Um, It seems like they intended it to ship in the fall and it wasn't ready probably. And now it seems like maybe it is ready. And I think you're right. It may be that they just don't want to ship it. And why not, why, why not launch it later? I mean, you could argue why not launch it now, but they're not going to sell them now, and will people have forgotten about them by the time that they're moving around and traveling around and potentially losing things? It's a, it's an interesting question. But this clearly, this product exists, right? This isn't just oh well, I heard a rumor that like it's in 
support videos. It's I mean, in and, documentation. And it may be that they are going to put them on sale sooner rather Maybe. than later, but they need to redo the marketing of them, right? Certainly. Like, you know, you would assume that the ads showed people traveling and forgetting their bag in an airport. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. And, like, you can't make an ad like that now because it's so tone deaf. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we're going to be doing a mic of the movies next week. Um, we want. I said to Jason, hey, Jason, I want to watch a happy movie. What do you recommend? And what did you recommend? Uh, we are going to watch Star Trek 4. Mike hasn't seen Star Trek movies, you see. Uh, I've only seen two, so I, uh, we're going from two to four. Yeah, I'll tell you what happens in Star Trek 3. Star Trek 3 is the search for Spock. So Spock dies in Star Trek 2. Star okay. Trek 3 is called the search for Spock. Yeah. Uh, here's my summary for you. Here's what you need to know. They All find right. Spock. Oh, no. I mean, yay. Yeah, they mm. find him. My understanding is that every other Star Trek movie is good. Is that correct? That's, that's that why I've is, heard that before. For the, for the first run of them, uh, the, the even ones are the, are the really good ones. Two, four, and six. Okay. Yeah. All right, so Star Trek four, Star Trek The IV, Voyage Home. The Voyage Home. Yeah, 1986, directed by Leonard Nimoy. Um, Ooh, uh, who directed also directed Star Trek Three, oh. and uh, it it is I think depending on how you calculate it, it's basically the most financially successful of all of the original Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. It was a hit in 1986, and that's because it's a feel good comedy. Uh, yes, it's a sci fi movie, it's a Star Trek movie, but it is also a funny movie. And if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it recently, I think it's a good movie to watch because it's nice. And we're, we live in dark times right now, so watch a, a nice, fun movie about a bunch of space people who go back to the 80s. It's funny. So, yeah. Uh, should we... Let's let's talk about Apple and the coronavirus uh, response, their update for this, for this week. So, lots of news as always, and I will do my best to summarize them. So, according to Bloomberg... Apple employees are struggling still to adjust to work from home life while maintaining product secrecy. We've heard this before, <laughs> but there's been continued reports of this being difficult for Apple employees. This is Mark Gurman calling all the people he knows who work at Apple and go like, hey, how's it how's going? It going? And they're like, <laughs> I'm here. Oh, man. I'm in my so, house. You're in your house. What's going on? And they're like, oh, man, let me tell you. And then he's like, yes, yes, tell me more. And then there's a story. That's mm-hmm. how journalism works today. <laughs> is, is, I mean, it's like, what else is going to happen? It's people yep. in their homes. So, uh, But it, it is interesting that, that Gurman has good sources. And he calls mm-hmm. around and says, what's this like? And I try to think about like software developers. I keep thinking, like, that's something I get. I totally get software developers. Um, and how they might work in a distributed environment because that happens. And I think about like building hardware and stuff and I think how does that work? Like yeah. <laughs> like how do you keep that rolling if you I know that the 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 designers aren't exactly like sitting around soldering things all day and bending wires and stuff but still I, it feels much more hands-on. It feels like that would be a greater leap uh in order to keep the ball rolling on, you know, you're designing the next iPhone or iPad or Mac or whatever um and to do that when everybody's in their own home seems uh, seems harder to me. It is, according to Gurman, harder, in, in fact. Um, and really, the biggest issue, though, is is that they're finding is the secrecy stuff. So especially with the sure. hardware, this is, this is difficult. Um, it is also apparently difficult with software because Apple is only able to, or is only allowing certain people to be able to use this stuff at home. Um, and sure. you've got to assume that, like, you know, they're worried about network security. They're worried about, like, physical, Wait, like, sneaker net security, t- right? Take like, the source code out of Cupertino. I totally see why you wouldn't want to 
do that, right? Like you're gonna you're you're secrecy focused, and you've got a bunch of stuff that you're working on, and then suddenly you change your policy, and now it's like at somebody's house on their laptop. It's like mm, I, I I get it, but at the same time, what are you gonna do? Stop working? Exactly. So um, apparently, though, there are still a selection of products that are being worked on, including a new HomePod, uh, which is interesting, uh, a new Apple TV, a new MacBook Pro, uh, the lower price iPads, so not the iPad Pros, the regular iPads, Apple Watch, iMac, and of course, the iPhone. These are all things that Apple is still sure. working on. Um, well, I mean, they, they never stop, right? Like, no. uh, they, they may be working, you know, Gruber always points out that uh, you know, this year's iPhone's already designed and specced and probably being built. Um, that's true, but next year's iPhone isn't, right? Next year's iPhone is being designed now. <laughs> uh, and then they're also working on the year after's iPhone. And, and, like, it never stops. So we may end up in a situation a little like movies and TV, actually, where new stuff is rolling out now. Like, there are movies that were, I mean, other than movies and theaters, which is another problem, but like TV shows. There are, there are TV shows that have been made and are going to come out in the next few months. But what's going to happen, and, and you used to see this with um, whenever there's a writer's strike, for example, you would see this. Um, then there's a gap. But it comes later where it's like, oh, now we've run out. <laughs> and that, now the shows are back. And, yep. th- and there's a gap. And that's, I think, the challenge here for Apple is not necessarily this year, but like, does this slow down you know is there a gap in apple's product offerings at some point because they just had to slow down because of this and for good reason but like where i don't know where that hole is but there's going to be a hole in apple's like product schedule that is where where we may depending on how long they have to rectify it we may see the hit that they're taking because they all had to leave the building you know, you mentioned TV there for a second. I wanted to say, like, I wanted to, like, just reference, because we were talking about uh, a lot of, like, late-night shows and stuff like that. People recording on their iPhones. They're using AirPods. Yeah. John Oliver, I don't know what HBO have done. They did the right thing. It looks like the John Oliver show. He's recording yeah. it at home. He has a white background. He has a proper camera, a teleprompter, yeah. a good microphone. Like, yeah, because yeah, you can put those things in the mail and send them to yeah, people. No, they, they they placed a really nice order from B and H. Yeah. Um, and you know he got a paper like background to clip up, mm-hmm. and a, and a couple of lights mm-hmm. and a camera, or you know it might be a it might be an iPhone camera. Honestly, you couldn't tell if it was an, a phone camera because phone cameras are so good now that yeah. they are if broadcast quality essentially if they're like lit that, properly. Yeah, they will work. Um, but, yeah, well, all of them. This is a it's a tangent that uh, I'm I'm fascinated by it um, because they are all trying to figure this stuff out, and mm-hmm. all of them have all kind of come uh, back at a certain level. Like Stephen Colbert is the same way. He's got a uh, an iPhone, and then he's got looks like a laptop on the floor with a Zoom conference with his producers, who are like <laughs> saying, "No, do that again," kind of stuff. But like they're all figuring it out because the consumer tech at this point. And and readily available tech is so good that you can, you know, you, you're going to have to take, there'll be a lot of FaceTime calls saying, no, push this button. No, 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 not that button, this button kind of stuff to get them up and running, <laughs> them and their kids and their and their spouses. But you can do it. Like you get some LED light panels, you get this microphone, you get the computer here and the phone here and the tripod and all that. And uh it can end up looking pretty good. Yeah, John Oliver's show is basically John Oliver's show now, except yeah. with no studio audience. And it took them a little longer to make. 
Yeah, and Trevor Noah's show looks really great. He's in front of like his own furniture instead of in a white void. Like, like I, I imagine that that John Oliver didn't have a really good background, so he has a white background instead. Mm-hmm. But like Trevor Noah doing the Daily Show, uh, it looks great. It 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 really does. They they figured it out, and Colbert's figuring it out, and Jimmy Fallon is figuring it out. Like they're all figuring it out now, which is fun to see. Um, and and the tech is there that you just have to your high priced uh, comedian talent. You got to walk them through how to set it all up, but they can do that usually, and and uh, it, that's been interesting to see. But like, it's just it was just it was refreshing to me to see that at least some television production companies can understand that it is possible to make yeah. this stuff look good with home stuff because yeah, all, yeah. all the other things I've seen just look terrible. No, the, the John Oliver one I think is a great example. Although Trevor Noah, I would say, is at that level, and mm-hmm. and Colbert is getting there, where. You can see that it's almost Oliver, especially. It's almost like the show was mm-hmm. like, other than the fact that the background is different. It ends up being about the content again, and I'm sure the other side of this because we keep talking about production, like writing this and all of those, and and post production. They got to get those files. And they got to transfer that HD yep. video over the internet to an editor to put right, like all of that is super complicated. Like the writer's rooms have to run with, are they doing like Google Docs and Zoom meetings and stuff like that? Like it's, there's a a bunch of stuff beneath the waterline that we don't even see, but it is really amazing to watch as these shows start to turn into the same show as it was before, except now it's all kind of DIY, but they've managed to figure it out. And uh, I'm not surprised that that happened, but some of them are happening faster than I thought because this is literally like show two for John Oliver in his house. And, um, it's just his show now. Mm-hmm. All right, so going back to what we were talking about, which is Apple and coronavirus, uh, Foxconn executives have t- tell their investors on a private conference call that leaked out that the 5G iPhone is still on track for 2020. Yeah. Like we said, it's all right. listen, listen to Gruber. You've yep. heard this before. Mm-hmm. It's already done. Like, it's already done. It's already designed. They have to make it. Yep. And so it's great to hear Foxconn say, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. But like that, that's that's one of these products that seems to be already down the line. It doesn't seem to be. Um, it, it's it's like a TV show that they already shot and are in the process of editing, and they may be editing it in their houses now. There was a great, uh, I think, Instagram shot of somebody who's editing the new season of Star Trek Discovery, and it's just like a trash can Mac Pro and a big monitor and some speakers on a yep. card table next to their stairs in their house. And it's like, all right, but that like they they can put that show out. They can mm-hmm. they can make that happen. And I feel like the the 2020 iPhones are probably like that, where it's like, yeah, we can we can make this work. This is not where the the gap is going to be. Uh, Apple has communicated internally that they're expecting their stores to be closed until at least early May. So they keep kind of pushing that forward. That's just going to keep getting pushed forward. Uh, and Tim Cook appeared again on Twitter via video to yeah. announce that Apple has now sourced over 20 million masks to be distributed worldwide. Last week, it was half of that. Um, and Apple has also designed, developed, and manufactured a face shield for medical workers. They have delivered the first batch of these to some hospitals in the U.S., and they're going to start shipping one million of them a week, starting in America, but looking to expand beyond. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, Tim, somebody got to Tim and said, Tim, it's your Twitter account. You don't need to introduce yourself every time we know who you are. <laughs> and also told him how to stop the video. Did yep. a good job this time. He did. So Tim Cook, like John Oliver and Stephen Colbert and Trevor <laughs> Noah, Tim Cook 
improving his skills. I can't wait for him to do uh, an interview and a monologue in mm-hmm. the future. Any day now. Yeah, one of the things he said in that video that I thought was really nice is he said, we're just trying to find things that we, where Apple can add something. Like mm-hmm. we're not, we're, if, if there's a skill that we have that's, uh, so we think we can contribute something, that's what we're looking for. And that, I think that's the right attitude to have is not like, what can we do to be seen as much as like, are there things we have in our manufacturing and design capabilities that we think we could we could actually make a difference and let's yeah. try to do that and they seem to be like the face shield seems to be a good example of that and the and the mask distribution for healthcare workers definitely all right today's show is brought to you by Eero Eero is the Wi-Fi that your home deserves because your home deserves fast reliable Wi-Fi wherever and whenever you need it you know why? Because you deserve it. Your family deserves it. You want that good connection. Eero will blanket your whole home with the Wi-Fi reliability that you want, eliminating poor coverage, dead spots, and buffering. With Eero, you'll have a consistently strong signal wherever you need it to be. And for a limited time, Eero's mesh Wi-Fi system starts at just $79. So now is the time to upgrade your Wi-Fi system. Eero sets up in just minutes. It plugs right into your modem or router box, and you manage everything from their dead simple app, which even lets you pause the Wi-Fi for dinner and alerts you if any device attempts to join your network. Uh, I got an error very recently, actually, and I love it. The application is amazing. It is completely unlike apps for any of these types of home devices. Like, it's well-designed. It's excellently featured. I love that I can run run speed tests on it wherever I am, even if I'm not at home, because I just want to see how fast my internet is. Um, I like that you can restrict what devices are showing up, and you can name the devices that are connected. Their app is really, really great. Um, it's super simple to set up the entire system, but their application really shines to me as a difference maker from anything else that I've used before. With Eero, there'll be no more Netflix buffering the bedroom, no more complaints of Xboxes with a bad signal, no more worrying that your security camera will be offline and no more stuttering video on your conference calls as well which is i bet really important to a lot of people now Eero has fixed my wi-fi problems let it fix yours too and you can have this fix as soon as tomorrow if you go to eero.com slash ahoy and enter the code ahoy a h o y you will get free overnight shipping of your order that's eero.com slash a h o y so ahoy and the code ahoy at checkout to get your Eero delivered with free overnight shipping one last time you have to go to this url to get this offer eero.com slash ahoy and use the code ahoy at checkout for free overnight shipping our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and relay fm Yep. So we're in upstream now, and we have Ooh. a big Apple Amazon theme to talk about. Uh, so out of nowhere last week, it became suddenly possible without, again, like a lot of fanfare, to be able to purchase movies and TV shows in the Amazon Prime app. So this had previously not been possible because of Apple's in-app purchase rules related to digital goods. So if you sell a digital product you have to put it through Apple's in-app purchase system. And movies and TV shows inside of the Amazon Prime Video app would count as that. Um, so it was like this way you'd have to do it previously. is like you couldn't sign up for Prime in it, you couldn't buy anything in it, and, it, and Amazon couldn't link you anywhere. So you either were a customer or you weren't, and you kind of had to work it out on your own. I think you could sign up for Prime or Prime for Prime Video using okay. Apple's method. 
Okay. I think you could do that. I think right. that was the one. They, they again, they don't want you to do that, but I think like Netflix used to be before they dropped out of that. Right. Okay. I think so I think you could slight maybe difference. Do that. Slight difference there. Thank you for that clarification. But now, if you are a Prime customer with Amazon, you can buy video content with your existing login. So this is stuff that's on top of your Prime yeah. now. Yeah, membership. so I'm a, I'm I'm a Prime member and I have the Prime Video app and I was able to all of a sudden they put up a little screen that goes do 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 you can now do this but like I was able to find a movie and tap uh, rent I think a Jojo Rabbit is the one that I did and and I was just like oh rent this movie and it's like all right uh, we're gonna rent this movie and charge your uh, credit card that we have on file at Amazon and then I got and I, then I got an Amazon receipt that said you just rented a movie. And so for me, my experience had nothing to do, no connection with Apple at all. I was doing that all um, inside the Amazon app using Amazon's payment services. So it's not just, um, not just that it's uh, the, the, a lot of debate about Apple taking thirty percent, and if they might change it so Apple's taking less through their in-app purchase system. This is not Apple's in-app purchase system. This is just Amazon. This is how it works on Android, by the way. But this is not how it works on iOS, except now it does if you're a Prime member. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're not a Prime member, it will switch to Apple's in-app purchase system. So Apple will take its cut for the purchase of that movie or television show. Um, And you can also sign up now for Prime via Apple subscription method too. Before, I think it was just you'd still have to do it through Amazon. But now, if you're not a Prime Video member and you want to become one and you're in the iOS app for Prime Video, which is a funny way that you'd find yourself in that situation, I think, uh, you can subscribe via Apple subscription method. So Apple, after this got published in a few paces, and I'm sure that a lot of journalists reached out to their press contacts at Apple for a statement on this. Apple did release a statement, but it's basically a selection of nothing. Um, Yes. There there really isn't much in this statement except for saying that there is a special deal available to premium video services and they reference two services in Europe, I believe. Canal Plus. Canal Plus. And there was one other that I'd never heard of. Like Canal Plus I've heard of before because they're the company that provides Apple TV boxes for their cable subscriptions. And they reference one other company... Altice One. Hmm. Altice One. Okay. I, I don't know that one at all. So, But these are two companies that Apple is doing this, this deal with, right, where they will allow for purchases inside of the app using an existing, like an, an external uh, payment processing. But to do this, to get access to this deal is a bit give and take. So Apple say that you have to support everything they want you to. So all the APIs that they want, you have to have your content in the TV app, you have to support AirPlay 2, all that kind of stuff. Um, Amazon is the first worldwide distributor to take advantage of this program. Um, clearly, some deal has been struck. I think that it's easy, if you've been paying attention... It's easier to see that Apple and Amazon have been doing a lot of stuff together over the last year, right? You've got like Apple Music on on the Echo, uh, the TV app right. on Fire products, um, Apple products back on Amazon for sale. Uh, you know, there there was a deal done, which includes a lot of things. Whether we've seen all that all of that yet, I don't know. But there has clearly been a lot of like give and take with Apple and Amazon, and this is just yeah. another piece of that puzzle. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to over. Given Apple's statement, I don't want to over emphasize 
what this might mean because mm-hmm. I think maybe this this arrangement couldn't have happened if Apple and Amazon hadn't buried the hatchet. Mm-hmm. But Apple saying very specifically, this is an existing program. This is not even the first or the second company to do this. And uh, we haven't mentioned it, but like Apple TV and the TV app is a big part of what this is, right? Because I get the impression that Apple basically has said, we will give you a premium subscription video provider. We will give you the freedom to charge your customers for extra stuff. It's like if you wanted to build your cable uh, company app and still charge people for on-demand or something through it. Like, they're your existing customer. They're paying you a subscription fee. If you want to charge them and not do in-app purchase, it's fine. But here's what you have to do to get this, to get us to approve it. And I suspect it is things like fully integrating into the Apple TV app and the API so that I can link to you and you tell me what they're watching and I can show it in the TV app as what's been like, like you need to be in our video ecosystem to get this feature, which Netflix doesn't have. Right. Mm-hmm. And Netflix doesn't, Netflix doesn't do a la carte. So this is not a carrot for Netflix, right? Because they don't do a la carte. They only do a subscription fee. So, but Amazon sells and sells stuff. It doesn't just do a subscription fee. It sells stuff. So it's unique in that way. So, um, I, I, when this initially broke, I thought, oh, maybe this is exactly what you said, which is the, another offshoot of that bearing the hatchet between Apple and Amazon and that it would be followed up by Kindle and Comixology. And then Apple released this statement mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe not then. Like, cause it, it is very TV focused. So yes. I initially thought, well, wouldn't it be nice but it's what Apple says is, well, it's about video and it's about a subscription video product. And then when you're a member of that subscription video service, then you get this extra ability to buy things inside it. Yeah. And that, you know, short of like the video takes out uh, Kindle and uh, Comixology, they do offer subscription services within both of those products. Um, and, but it's not video, but I could see that. So I, I think it's an open question. Like it would be really great if this continued and Kindle and Comixology, uh, got purchase, uh, inside of it. But like, I don't know. It seems like a, a bit far afield from this because this is a very specific instance where you have to, A, it's got to be video. B, you have to have an existing subscription relationship with Amazon. And then C, you have the ability to pay, more money <laughs> to buy or rent things inside it. And like, even if they brought that to something like Kindle or Comixology where there, there's like Kindle Unlimited and and the Comixology Unlimited fee, uh, subscription services, and yes, they also sell products inside those stores. Um, even if you got over the video hump, that's still a weird experience, right? Where mm. regular Kindle users would not be able to buy books under this circumstance. You'd have to be a Kindle Unlimited member unless they claimed that prime was a membership that included books or like i don't know it, it seems like a stretch is what i'm saying and so while I, w- I was really excited about the ability to buy potentially books and comics inside amazon's apps as a next step here um reading apple statement i think it, it's not going to happen and that this is really just specifically about amazon ticking all the boxes in terms of being in apple's tv ecosystem so the their their deal made this possible but Mm. 
it, it, it doesn't follow that there's more to come. This whole thing has made me re-realize how unfair I think this rule is. Like, there is no reason that Apple should be involved in the purchase of a Kindle book. There's just no reason. They're not serving the files. Uh, they're not going to provide the payment system because Amazon don't even want that. It is it is rent-seeking behavior. It yeah. is Apple saying, it's our platform, and so any money that changes hands for digital goods, you got to cut us in for 30%. Because it's because we control it. We don't provide anything to you here. Mm -hmm. We just are going to take money from you. But it's so easy for Amazon to, to very, I think, rightly fire back and be like, no, no, Kindle is our platform, right? Like, yeah. you have yeah. nothing to do with this. Like, we're equals here, right? Like, people aren't... It's, yeah. it's just, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's very, I find it very frustrating, again, to, to be reminded of it. I understand, like, so the argument from Apple side is that it's not it's not rent seeking behavior it's protecting the platform because they don't want apps uns, you know apps from unscrupulous vendors to suddenly start charging you and you don't know anything about their infrastructure whether they're unscrupulous or just uh, not paying attention like you may be compromising your credit card and are they going to be charging you for more than they say and all these things it's like well you don't have to worry about it cuz apple is going to protect you from that yeah. and and i see that but then you look at a company like Amazon and you think come on like Amazon is so huge and they've got an existing relationship with these customers and that's always been my argument that Kindle and Comixology on iOS is appreciably worse for users yes than on Android yeah because of Apple's policy because it means that if you want to buy a book you have to go to Amazon's website and do it whereas Apple and and, and it's even worse because Apple has a book app and you don't have to do it with Apple's book app because Apple is the landlord. And so they get to set those rules and they don't have to, they don't apply to Apple because Apple, there's no middleman. Apple is the man mm -hmm. <laughs> and Apple takes the, all the money. So it's, it's ridiculous and unfair. And I hope that they find a way to define the rules in a way where shady apps don't try to charge your credit card, but giant companies with existing financial relationships can. Because I would really like to buy Kindle books on iOS without going to the webpage and Comixology, yeah. especially. For me, that that's where it really hits me is I read a lot of comics on my iPad and every time... <laughs> I want to buy new comics. I have to go to Safari. I have to log in again because their their login only sticks for seven days on the web, and then uh, and then I have to go through and find the comics, and then I have to switch back to the app, and then I have to refresh, and then I have it's just it's it's awful. It's like and I get that idea of like oh we want to protect our customers, but there is an app on iOS called Safari that will allow me to put my card information into literally any website I want. Right. Yeah. So, like, sure, the app store is is like yeah. you know, this this beautiful payment paradise, but the web isn't. And like, yeah, and well, my argument would be um, there will still be a motivator if they drop this uh, drop this demand. There would still be a motivator for people to use the in-app purchase system because it is clean mm -hmm. and easy and uh, and 
you don't have to re-enter your credit card information and it's backed by Apple. And like, there's pl- still plenty of reasons for apps to use the in-app purchase system yeah. to reduce friction. But, In the same way that right. people use things like CloudKit, there are other syncing solutions for data, but people use Apple's because it has these benefits for them as a developer. Yeah. By the way, I did hear from somebody, I don't, um, I'm not a, an Audible subscriber, but I did hear from somebody that th- that was another example of a, a, a an interface change where somebody said that, and I uh, forgive me because I'm I'm only half remembering this that Audible you know you have a subscription and it gives you credits and I think that changed recently as a part of this detente between Apple and Amazon where Audible you now have a little more freedom to like spend your credits inside the Audible app where that might before, have been part of the books thing yeah be where before you got you got ebook settlement you got kicked out um to the web for Audible as well mm. but um it's it's ridiculous. That's the bottom line is it's ridiculous. So I hope it continues um, because I think this is one of the worst policies that Apple has. And and it benefits nobody except Apple. I know that people talk about this a lot, right? But I I think we are getting to a point where Apple needs to kind of re-justify its cut again. Um, Like, what what are you getting as a developer, as a a platform partner? Uh, And I don't disagree with Apple doing these kinds of deals, right? Like, that's... That's business for you, right? Like Amazon is a big enough company, you know, they're they're bigger than the the movie company me and Jason start, right? Like we're not going to get the same deal that Amazon get. And I have no problem with that because Amazon have, have been successful enough that they get to sit at a table with Apple and talk mm-hmm. it through and explain it and come to a deal. But I do think in general, Apple need to maybe reevaluate things a little bit more in the same way that they did the 30 to 15% on subscription thing, right? That was great, made a lot of people happy, made a lot of people more money, uh, incentivized the reason to have subscriptions over one-time purchasing, you know, like helped people change their business models so they could have a free app that could have a subscription. Like, great, that was a great move. I think we need to see a little bit more of that again um, just to continue justifying why Apple deserves the cut that it takes because the original pitch, you know, of like, we have the storefront, people are going to find your app. Like, that's great. We're going to help with like that. All of that stuff means less now than it right. used to, I think. And and so I, I think that, you know, with the app store being the age that it is, it might be time to not just for larger players, but to, to reevaluate some of this stuff again. All right, this episode is also brought to you by Pingdom. Today's internet users, like me, like you, expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing is, people are going to leave if your website isn't loading fast or isn't loading at all. And with real-time user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance is affecting your visitors' experience so you're able to take action in areas that are important before your business is impacted. How people visit your website, the experience that they receive, it differs depending on the browser, the device, and the platform that they use. It's not easy always to be able to do that testing on everything. You may not have enough devices, but Pingdom do this stuff for you. They identify how visitors are experiencing your website and sh- and they can show you the, some of the ways that you could optimize it and make some informed decisions about the way that you want your website to work better and also deliver, therefore, a greater performance 
to the people that matter most to you. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability, meaning that you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now and you'll get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So let's continue with some upstream news. Uh, there is a new WarnerMedia CEO, Jason Keeler, who was Hulu's first CEO. Yeah, it's just it's a little story, but it made me laugh because he was the the founding CEO of of Hulu, uh, which meant he was being pulled in various different directions by the various media companies that owned Hulu, and he's had a different job for the last few years. But he's going to be the CEO of Warner Media, reporting to up to the AT and T bosses, and I just think it's a, an interesting thing and says something about maybe his skill set as a manager who was a manager of a streaming service in its early days, that that was who they wanted in charge of all of Warner media. So just, yeah, little thing. Interesting. Quibi launches today to mixed reviews. Um, Mm. Apparently the app itself is pretty good. Nicely designed. Uh, There's some interesting ideas in there. Like the content, can change depending on the orientation of your device. If you're holding it in landscape or portrait, you might see different things. That's cool, but it feels like a gimmick to me. I I don't know if I want to be moving my phone up and down, up and down to be able to watch a TV show and see different things. Apparently, there's like a Steven Spielberg production upcoming, which will also use like your GPS and the clock of your phone to show the content differently. I don't know if I want these experiences. Maybe I could be proven wrong, I just don't feel like I I want that. Uh, something that was quite funny out some of the reporting today that the Quibi app blocks screenshots. So it's using copy protection. So if you screenshot yeah. the content, it just is a black box. So there'll be no, nothing will go viral from Quibi. No. Great job, Quibi. Great job. Yeah, that's exactly what you want to be able to do. Uh, the reports on the content is that ultimately it feels pretty cheap feeling or yeah. that it's stuff that feels like it's YouTube Focus. Yeah, that's the one that I saw is it feels like like you're now paying for more YouTube videos that you can get for free. Yeah. And yeah. YouTube content is fantastic, right? But YouTube content is considered a free thing, right? Yes. For people. You just go watch it. Um, and this is a shame because of the pricing. Now, this wouldn't be a problem if they had a free of ads tier. It's like, great, you know, that's YouTube. But to get their ads here, you pay four ninety nine a month. Yeah. So that's kind of a bit complicated. And also, they have a seven ninety nine a month without ads here. Outside of the US, you can only get the seven ninety nine a month option because they didn't sell ads outside of America. Of course, they didn't. So this was the wrong time to launch this product. We made reference to it earlier. Yeah. We spoke about it before. Also, I gotta say, I question the entire premise of Quibi. Sure. Because people watch video, I mean, in the before time, people watch video anyway on the go. Like, it's not like somebody is somewhere and thinks, oh man, I wish I could watch Netflix or YouTube or something on my phone, but I can't do that. Or so I guess I'll just sit here and stare Instagram out the window. stories like, mm. or any other type of social media Or literally media video. anything else. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. We but no, the problem is I just need a 10 minute long Quibi video. That's what I really wish I had right now. It, uh, so... You know, they did an interesting thing in signing up a lot of big stars and all that kind of stuff. 
uh, but I, I just, it just, I'm not interested in, right? Like, I wanted to maybe check this out. I was thinking about it, but I'm like, I don't want to pay for this. Like, I don't want to pay more than Disney Plus for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Which, which I would be paying two pounds a month more than I pay for Disney Plus for this service. Like, I'm not, and I know they have a 90 day free trial, but honestly, like, I'm not even, I don't even want to check it out. Like, I don't think I'm going to, get anything out of this content like i will wait to hear of the tv show the quibby show the quibbit quiblet i don't know what they call it i'm sure they've got some That's name a for it must have that quiblet. is a must yes. have but like right now i'm not i'm not interested in this the only thing that i th- wanted to maybe see was chrissy chrissy's court which is chrissy Teigen doing like a judge judy type thing but it's not. I don't want to see it enough that I want to pay seven pound ninety nine a month for it. Which again is how much I pay for Netflix, right? Where I can watch Tiger King, which is incredible. Have you watched Tiger King? Yes, oh, I watched so the good. first first three episodes. I think, but so yeah. so good, yeah. right? I, I don't think I would say so good. It's fascinating to watch. It's hard to it. believe that people like that exist, and mm-hmm. uh, and yet they do. And uh, uh, I talked about this on. TV talk machine last week, but I, I'm encouraged by the fact that people will watch documentaries if they're about super outlandish subjects. And in fact, people will watch like an eight hour long documentary if you break it up into episodes and have cliffhangers at the end of each episode. So fair play. But to, you break uh, them up into hour chunks. You don't break exactly. them up into 10 minute chunks. Like they yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> well, so, there's a tiger. Yeah. Stay tuned next week for <laughs> more tigers on Quibi. Tiger. Like, okay. All right. Oh, hey, there's this guy who, who works with the tigers. All right. Come back next week. Yeah. Thanks, Quibi. This hasn't launched in the world that it should have. And and I feel like, I don't know what they would have done, you know, like in their position, I probably also would have just launched it anyway because you put so much money into it at this point. But I, I, I think the target market for Quibi was small and that small market is working at home right now and they don't need your bite-sized chunk videos we'll see though i'd like to be proven wrong and apple debuted a trailer for an apple tv plus show called trying which is a british comedy show starring rafe spall um it is focusing on relationships and parenthood and conception complications it's coming may 1st it looks really good i love the trailer it is the dry realistic british humor that i enjoy and that rafe spall uh is especially good at um i'm looking forward to checking this one out it looks good it looks different uh, because hmm. it's a British comedy, so it's, yeah, like, it's different it, to the other type of content you. that is on Apple TV Plus right now. So I'm excited about it. And this is Apple's uh, worldwide content initiative, right? Like yep. everybody gets to see this British show that is on Apple TV Plus. Yep, this is a very like Channel Four or BBC mm-hmm. content. Like, like also, it's like shot in. It looks like Camden, which is an area that I love. Like, yeah, I'm super cool, super into it. Jason, should we talk about Zoom? I think we should probably. Yeah. I mean, this is being covered in a lot of places. I don't know if we need to go into the exact details, but, you know, if you're working from home right now you've or you have kids homeschooling right now, especially, you've probably heard about Zoom. Zoom is yeah. the web conferencing, video conferencing application that has risen to prominence during lockdowns around it's- the world. It's funny, they they seem to have been perfectly positioned somehow for this, and I think not entirely intentionally, but they, everybody seems to have leapt to Zoom, and people are using Zoom, and I was thinking about it, I was trying to explain to somebody, like, why Zoom in particular, and... I, you know, I think maybe the reason is that they worked really hard on this kind of frictionless interface where 
unless you're the host of the meeting, you can just send somebody a link and it just opens. Yep. And they're in a meeting, right? So you don't have to... So like Skype is a good example where the way Skype works is everybody sign up for Skype. Send me your Skype account. Now they have like a, a join link and stuff. But it's like, it was always the case with Skype that was like, you need to register. You need to set up your Microsoft account. And now you can be in a Skype call. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Zoom, you just show up and there's a teleconference. And yep. I, I think that that led, plus the fact that they had a free tier that gave you 40 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, a 40 minute long conversation well, for they, free. They were also, you know, successful, pretty successful in enterprise. So as people were starting to move to working from home, they were having to use the software that their company was telling them to right. use, which in a lot of places was Zoom. So then they were like, well, Zoom's easy and we need to have this call with the five family members. Let's just do it over Zoom because Zoom's yeah. on every device. It's not FaceTime. I just did a Zoom call last night with um, all the members of my wife's family. Yeah. And uh, and we were like, you could use FaceTime. And they're like, nah, we'll use Zoom. It's like, but you literally all have Apple devices. You don't, <laughs> you could just use, they're like, no, we're going to use Zoom. Okay, fine. We'll use Zoom. It's fine. Yeah. But, uh, but it was, so it turned out to be perfectly positioned for this. And what's come out is in our show notes, you, you say it honestly feels like there are too many reports about security issues in Zoom to even mention. Mm-hmm. So we'll link to Glenn Fleischman's article on Tidbits where he went through every single one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. This um, is like this really interesting thing that happens in technology media reporting. And I am not criticizing this. Like, do not get me wrong, but it's just like an interesting thing to observe where like website A publishes a thing that they found out about a security issue or an issue with a piece of software. And then there are lots more as every other tech-focused news outlet is trying to find this stuff or they're getting other tips. So, like, it becomes this, like, feed, like, a beast that is being fed. Like, we saw it with... um, The the like the 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 enterprise certificate stuff. Do you remember that? Sure. Like, it's the steady like it, steady drip yeah. drip drip where somebody points something out and then everybody else starts investigating it and mm-hmm. they find things and and Zoom. Honestly, it's also a little bit like uh, Zoom is is very casually walking down a hallway minding its own business and then a giant spotlight is placed on it and yeah. it's like uh and it freezes. It's like uh. So here here's my. I mean, look, Zoom has issues. There's no doubt about it. Definitely. I don't have a lot of time for people who want to say that Zoom is evil like Facebook because I don't think yep. they are. I think I they're think just so. and, and I wouldn't say incompetent, but I would say that they are a startup who was really focused on adding features so that they could serve customers and close deals and get more money and get more customers and continue growing because mm-hmm. they're a startup and was a lot less focused on all the things that involve security and you know limits to their system because they're like, yeah, but who's going to do that? It's not a big deal. This is enterprise software. People aren't going to be like Zoom bombing, the idea that people can just uh, kind of like come up with codes and appear in random uh, yeah, video conferences yeah. and, and it's and it's really bad and they've actually had to change their uh their security like now by default you you have to as the starter of a meeting you have to look at a list and admit people to a meeting um or or you uh, glenn's suggestion is you look through the list kick out the people you don't know and then do an admit all to everybody but like they in the early days, right, like they were, they were just not focused on it. They were moving as fast as they could, and uh, and it led to a lot of bad practices. There's no doubt about it. And I, I'm not really defending them. I'm just trying to understand it. Like, you know, why did 
why did the Zoom installer on the Mac install all the things in the preflight, and then when you click the install button, nothing happens because it's already installed itself? Well, you know what? I don't think that's the, them being evil. I think that that is a developer who made a mistake, and either nobody noticed or nobody cared. And I think a lot of it is nobody cared mm-hmm. because, and, and I would imagine there are developers at Zoom, that, given the speed at which they've implemented some of these fixes, I think there are developers and maybe even product managers at Zoom who knew all about these flaws. And we're like, can we, because I've been there, folks, I've been there. Can we fix these flaws? Can we get development resources to fix these flaws? And then somebody up the chain says, no, build the new feature that's going to get us this $4 million contract. Do that instead. And they just sit there. And then the spotlight gets switched on. And Zoom's like, uh, uh, (laughs) you know? Don't look over there. <laughs> that is what basically has happened, I think, here. And I think that their response really is about as good as a response can be in the situation that they found themselves in. Where it took them a few tries, yep, but they did yep, get there. Yep. You know, nobody's perfect. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got well, there. The, they got the to entire expertise of this company is not to be in that big a spotlight, right? Like mm-hmm. none of them are good at it. None of them were, were got to where they were because they were good at it. Yeah. And the final response was, yeah, we, you're right. We, we like, like the, the ad tagging, like the ad tagging on their website where it's like their privacy policy is like a marketing privacy policy. And it's like, we can sell all your information. And somebody who's a privacy person calls them on it and says, why do you, why are you reselling your customer information? You're a, you're a subscription based company. You're not even an advertising company. And their response was something like, Oh yeah, we just, and you really get the sense that whoever put up the privacy policy ripped a a privacy. Yeah. Yeah. They ripped a privacy policy from somewhere and posted it because they knew they needed to have one. And that, is that dumb? Yes, it is. Do I understand how that would happen in in an organization that is moving quickly and has priorities that are not the priorities of tightening every screw down because Mm -hmm. they're a startup? Yes, I do. Because that privacy policy has been in place for four years and not one user or person at Zoom has read it until someone wanted to read it to find something. Again, not excusing bad practices, but this is how this stuff happens. You are focusing on pushing forward always building your company forward 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 and you just let things go and honestly if you're the kind of person who says you know we need to really uh we need to sweep up behind us and we need to tighten all the screws on these things and we need to go back and fix these little bugs i mean look at apple right how many stories do we have about bugs that get introduced in a version of mac os or ios and they never get fixed. All yep. the new features keep coming in, but they never go back and fix a lot of these little mm-hmm. bugs. It's because that company is not providing developers and product managers incentive to fix little bugs. Their incentives are all about making new features. And this is a this is a problem. So Zoom's privacy policy, like, is Zoom really planning on, on being a gross company that resells all of its no. customer data when you come to their website? <laughs> no, they're no. just dumb. And they yes. used a dumb privacy policy. Yep. And you could see it because the moment it gets pointed out, they're like, oh, God, no. Oh, <laughs> Oh, let's change it, right? Like yeah. so. So again, yeah, yeah, yeah. there are, is is Zoom a badly run company? Kind of, but in a in a really boring way that most I would say companies, yep. especially startups, are badly run. Which is they prioritized growth and didn't realize what like the rest of us exactly what was around the corner, which was this level of scrutiny. And I will also say they. It has taken them a while to do the right thing, but they've generally 
come around to realizing that that it is the right thing in a way that is refreshing because it's not something that Facebook ever yes, did. Yes, you have to like, I get that, <laughs> that, that these things can be criticized when you find out about them. You can criticize the way that they respond. But if a company ultimately comes around to doing what is recommended or what people suggest, that needs to be like, not necessarily applauded, but recognized. Because yeah. these days, technology companies, big technology companies, and Zoom went from 10 million daily users to 200 million daily users. They are a yeah. massive tech company now. Too often, these companies just dig their heels in and they don't do well, what you want them to do. Yeah. Zoom right? is in the crucible right now. Mm-hmm. They are in the crucible. And, and two things can happen. They can either come out of it better for it or they can burn up. Right? Those are the sort of two things that can happen. And I think they're going to come out of it better for it. I think that they're going to, despite all of these complaints about Zoom bombing and, and privacy issues and bad technology practices, their business at the end is going to be way larger than it was going in. Yeah. But I also think it will be way more focused on these customer issues mm-hmm. because they've had to focus on them. And that has given a little more cred to the people inside, presumably, who can say, we need to do this the right way. You saw what happened when we did it the wrong way. Let's do it the right way now. And I think there'll be a better product and service and company uh, when all is said and done. they don't need new users. <laughs> they got those. And they, they, they learned it. I mean, they, they had to learn it the hard way. Yeah. But honestly, I think a lot of times that's exactly what happens to companies is they go along and then they get called on it. And then you you find out what they're made of mm-hmm. when they get called on it. And a lot of times you get, I mean, honestly, Zoom's response is not that different from the responses of all sorts of people to the COVID-19 crisis, where you start by kind of bargaining and you're like, well, all right, maybe we'll change a little bit and maybe we'll do this little minor thing. And then and then you have that moment where you go, oh, no, 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 this is huge. I need to just stop right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what Zoom has basically done is they're like, well, there's a little thing, and then they finally seem to have had that moment where they're like, you know, you're right. This is really bad. We're not going to... I mean, the fact that it's such a big deal in the text of like, we're going to stop implementing new features and we're going to focus on fixing all of our security and privacy problems. It's like, well, you guys you guys were still working on new features? Like, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Capacity, stability, and fixing all your really bad privacy and security bugs. Yep. Let's do that now. Like right now, let's let's focus on that. And they got there. It took them a while, but they got there again in a way that some some of these tech companies don't get there because mm-hmm. it turns out that they they do actually intend. They either intended to be evil all along or they found out how profitable being evil was. And they're like, no, I really just want to do that now. That, yeah. And I don't think Zoom is at that point. So I, I think, you know, are there, and here's the other thing, are there alternatives to Zoom? Yes, there are. Google Hangouts, FaceTime, Skype. Yeah, they're all going to have different trade-offs, but there are advantages to them. You don't have to use Zoom. I would argue that just like getting mad at an airline or a cable company or a cell phone company, you're really probably just trading one set of issues for another. But if, you know, you know, the, the beauty of the way Zoom is built is I believe you can just use a web browser and not even install their app and still get into their conferences if you're not the host. So, you know, I, I've been using Zoom for a while now because it has a very particular feature that is extremely helpful to me as a podcast host and editor, but it is so esoteric that, you know, my need for it is not the need that anybody else who's not a podcast host and editor has a need for it. What is which your is, need? 
just to, yeah, because people ask about this. Zoom will let you do a recording of your call. Well, most most places will do that. But Zoom will let you choose to record it locally and not up in the cloud. And one of the options is record everybody's voices on separate tracks. And what that means is I walk away from a Zoom call with uh, a, a, a track for every single person who was on the podcast separate from all the other voices. Now, I I have them all record their voice on their own computer. But sometimes, and that's the highest quality possible, sometimes the recordings fail. And it used to be, when I used Skype, that uh, if that recording failed, I had to take my recording of like everybody talking at once and like cut out the parts where they made noise and put that in and cut out all the other people's voices from where they're talking because they're talking on their microphone and on that track. It was a lot of work. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of work. And now I just sub in the zoom version of their voice and I got it. And that, that work goes away. So that's the reason I use it, but that's, that's 0.0001% of zooms. And we keep adding zeros as this crisis continues. So, you know, there are alternatives out there. I I just want to say like switching to some other thing is no guarantee that they do not also have privacy security and ease of use problems. Because Zoom very clearly prioritized ease of use over security, and it's biting them now. But it's also the reason that they're being used by so many people, is it's fairly easy to, to hop on a Zoom call. I've been really enjoying uh, Ben Thompson's uh, discussion on this and the Daily Update. Um, I've, I recently subscribed to the Daily Update podcast, and it's, it's very good. So this is like Ben's Daily Update, which you've probably heard of for a while, an email newsletter, and now there's a podcast version, which is great for someone like me who doesn't like to read very much. Um, and what Ben ended up recommending was that Zoom take like 90 days to focus on privacy. It's exactly what Zoom is doing now, which is, I don't know if they took his uh, advice or if they just came to the same kind of uh, result, but that's what Zoom is up to now. They are just pausing all feature development, focusing on a security overhaul. But So that's Zoom. Yeah. Can't get away from it. I had a Zoom call today. I have two tomorrow. Everyone wants to use Zoom now. It's kind of funny to me, Jason. Like I used to do just video, like just just calls, just phone calls. But now I'm having video calls with the same people. It's like we didn't we didn't didn't video call before. Why do we do video call now? It's fun. We can we can do this now. Yeah, I I mean I still get Hangouts requests because Google Hangouts still exists, even though they keep trying to kill it. Uh, And Skype definitely, but Zoom. You know, I think there's also the truth that once it's a tool in your arsenal, you want to apply it to everything. Um, And some of this might fall away as being like, yeah, meh, I don't need to do that. Or it may just be like, oh, I got it. Let's just use it. Like it's also everybody's inside and seeing another face is kind of nice, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it too. Mm -hmm. I think think there's an interesting question about um, FaceTime. (laughs) Like... Group FaceTime should be like my like I said my my wife's family and I should have used FaceTime last night but mm-hmm. we didn't and I think it's because the perception is it's complicated people don't know how to use it and it's got the weird like bubbles and stuff that float around where Zoom is just a grid and like the bubbles are whimsical but I think they're bad <laughs> so saying about um, that I yeah. have I have been pondering this idea something I want to talk to you about, which we'll do after this break, where we talk about our friends 
over at Linode and thank them for supporting the show. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale that you need to take your project to the next level. Linode have 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. You can get started with Linode today and get a $20 credit because you listen to this show. Then you'll have access to a revamped cloud manager built on an open-source single-page app. Nano plans start as low as $5 a month. GPU compute plans suitable for AI, machine learning, and video processing, and one-click installs of the most popular apps, including WordPress, LampStack, and game servers for Minecraft, and so much more. Go to linode.com, L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash upgrade, and use the promo code UPGRADE2020 when creating a new Linode account, and you'll get a $20 credit towards your next project. And Linode are hiring right now. Go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. But to get your hands on that $20 credit and sign up for Linode today, go to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code UPGRADE2020 for that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So I had a, I've been rolling this idea around in my head, which I'm kind of referring to as like a big question, which is how will COVID-19 change consumer technology? And I've been thinking about this just in general, that like I would like to maybe try and do this stuff more if people like it. If less something that is focused on like what happened this week, which is typically what we talk about on this show, but more kind of like bigger questions about technology. So right. the reason I've been thinking of this is like, the way that people are working right now is different to how they've worked before and at large scale, right? Yeah. Um, people have been working from home, working from home in technology for years, decades maybe even. But the idea of, no, everyone is different, right? And it's going to unearth a few different types of ideas in the way that people are used to working. Therefore, the way that technology enables this in our lives and when all the big technology companies are forced to face these issues they may see things that other people have been seeing for a while so there's there is that whole stream but the first stream that was interesting to me was how COVID-19 may change the way that we interact with our devices on a daily basis and one that I've been thinking about is how good is face ID if we're all wearing face masks so this is a thing that's come yeah. up in Asia for a long time and was apparently a contributing factor to lower sales of the iPhone X line was that if you are if you live in a society where people people's faces are obscured when they're outside of the home face ID is so much worse than touch ID because you can't unlock your phone now Depending on where you live in the world right now, people are being told to wear face masks or not, but it seems like the general consensus is moving to, if you go outside, cover your face somehow, right? Leave the medical grade face masks to people in the medical profession, but maybe wear something, right? So does that mean that if we're, if the now the Western world may be moving into using face masks more? Because if we're living with this, in some form for a couple of years, which is possible, will we get used to wearing face masks? Like, will that just become a thing in Europe and in America, like it has in some places in Asia? And if that's the case, do we want face ID or do we want touch ID again? 
Yeah, I wonder about this. Although I have heard from people who talk about like the problem. There are issues with touch ID too, right? Like if you're wearing gloves, sure. including if you're wearing gloves to protect yourself mm-hmm. from stuff that you would touch, right? Like whether it's cold or or medical reasons, you can't do touch ID. So there are issues with all of these biometric things, but I think you're right that if Face ID becomes even gra- an even greater liability in more places for more people, and you're Apple, you have to start to think uh, like what some of the Android phone makers have done, which is to say, I want Face Unlock and I want Touch Unlock. Mm-hmm. I've also heard a bunch of people who've said they've made their password simpler on their iPhone because they now have to enter it. And that that's uh, like I've got a alphanumeric passcode on my iPhone, and if I'm out and about wearing a mask all the time, that's gonna change. Right? Like I'm yep. not gonna I'm not gonna have to do that every time I unlock. I also wonder if Apple's thought of some other sort of like biometric things, like like a uh, Apple Watch unlock for your iPhone or something like that. Like once you unlock your Apple Watch and your iPhone and there there and it stays on your wrist, then maybe your iPhone um, can lock more unlock more easily, but. Clearly, this is a new data being input that is going to change the equation. Of course, as we've talked about, it takes years for Apple to change the philosophy on some of this stuff. But it would be, uh, I think it's worth thinking about that if this, we'll see what happens culturally, but it's hard to believe that there won't be at least more mask wearing than there used to be. So then as well, uh, I'm wondering about cameras in devices because we're all using cameras, our, our front-facing cameras, more for video calling, right? Whether we're on our Mac for, to, to do a work call, on an iPad to speak to your friends or your family, your iPhone to speak to your parents, your grandparents. So we're doing more video calling. So should front-facing cameras be better? Will we see that? I think we will. You know, like at the moment, I have on my iMac Pro a Logitech external camera because the camera in my iMac Pro is really, really bad. And I have this Logitech camera. I've had it for a while when I was doing uh, streaming for uh, like, well, whenever I do game streaming stuff, you, I want to have my camera on it. And this 1080p webcam from Logitech is much better looking than the one in my iMac Pro. So I've just plugged that one in now. And I think probably quite a lot of people are doing stuff like that because the cameras, especially in Macs, they suck. And I wonder if we're going to see that start to change now. Yeah, the Mac cameras could be better. Although I think that I think the iMac Pro camera is 1080. Well, the, the, whether it is or it isn't, this Logitech one is much better, right? Like yeah, it might I, be I mean, 1080, but like the, the lens is bigger, right? Like it's, yeah, like, my, it's a dedicated oh, product. My five-year-old whatever USB Logitech camera is still better than what is in my iMac Pro. I think you're yeah. right. I think that I think that prior if if everybody's doing video stuff, prioritizing. Um, video cameras especially like on computers it's certainly been the case it feels like that you know some devices have really nice cameras and others don't but like if you're doing a long conference call you're probably not holding your phone and doing that or or even holding an ipad you're probably doing it at a on a on a laptop or something like that i, I think for a lot of this stuff and apple's laptop uh webcams are bad they're just they're 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 not very good that has not been a priority for them so i do wonder no. about that i also wonder about in general um 
having upgrading that technology to have more kind of machine intelligence. You know, there are those um, webcams that are out there where they will do face tracking and stuff like that. So if you move around a little bit, it'll adjust the frame based on where you are. Like you get a wide angle shot and then it will kind of intelligently frame and move and things like that. And Apple could do more stuff like that too, if it wanted to, but it hasn't been a priority. And and I do think that that may be something that changes. Um, and uh, let's talk about like we talked the 16 inch MacBook Pro and the uh, new iPad Pros. They've got their you know six whatever it is microphone array, and 16 inch MacBook Pro is the studio quality microphones and all that. Like Apple was already on that, but I think that's a real win for them because having your existing microphone device be better and sound better is you know, something that they're already headed toward. And it's important. Like you don't want to sound like you're at the bottom of a well, if you're in a zoom meeting or whatever, or a Slack meeting Mm -hmm. on audio, you know, you don't want, you don't want to sound bad. You don't want to not be able to hear someone, right? Like if you're doing over speakers, like all of that stuff is important. And I think that we're going to see like a continued push on this stuff because people are having to use these devices more frequently. Like, as I say, there are a lot of people that are doing this every day, but not necessarily the people that make the computers are doing this or have been doing this. And, <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, yeah. This is that famous story uh, that I love about how Apple Mail was really, really bad on slow connections. And I discovered that when I was on a cruise ship like 10 years ago that like Apple Mail wants to sync all your mailboxes and it just uses huge amounts of data. And then they started doing Wi-Fi on airplanes. Uh, that that became a very popular thing, and that was a slow connection. And the next release of macOS was much better mm-hmm. in terms of mail using the connection. And it was very clear what happened, which is all the people who wrote the the software and the executives who used it all of a sudden found themselves on a low latency, slow internet connection, and realized that Apple Mail was completely inappropriate for that. And so they fixed it. Like that just happens. Like if you don't live it, we could talk about maps, right? Like the maps, Apple maps is really great in, in the Bay area, but uh, it, it's not necessarily very good in lots of other places and you get a skewed perception of it. So I think you're right that this is one of those things that we're going to see. This is a good example, but there are others like we're going to see collaboration, communication apps, and also hardware that's used in them get better in the next few years because the people who make that stuff are currently dealing with whatever today's state of the art is and probably having some ideas about where this stuff could be better. Yeah, when it comes to apps and services, the thing that's interesting to me is like the hardware is coming from your existing hardware makers, but apps and services can come from anywhere, you know? So like, Mm -hmm. you know, something like Slack is born out of wasn't Slack, it was, there was, the company behind Slack was building a video game and then they built a communication tool to talk about the game that they were making. The game didn't end up going anywhere, but they realized that they had stumbled into a better communication tool. I think that's Slack's origin story. So these types of software solutions can come out of weird places. And I would expect that we see a lot of startups over the next couple of years coming in to try and save or fix X, right? Like I think the company behind uh, Basecamp uh, is building an email replacement tool, 
which I think is on hold at the moment. It's 37 signals, right? I believe it's them that's doing this. But this is, you know, that will come at a time when people have realized, have been using email too much or using Slack too much to communicate. And they're like, oh, I'm frustrated with this tool. I wished it was better. You know, Slack is kind of funny now that like Slack has now become the establishment. So people want to build Slack replacements when Slack was to replace email. But what we've all realized is Slack is great for team communication. It did not replace email, right? Like it doesn't. Yeah. Email continues. So now people are still trying to build better tools for that. But this is like a big area, like communication and collaboration. I think we're going to see a lot of new companies pop up with these things in mind. Also, users, you know, the users who have built, these products have been built around users who are traveling or organizations that have multiple centers of work or mm-hmm. people who work from home. But now there's this whole new set of users because now it's like whole businesses that are moving remote. And even the existing companies are going to learn things about the needs of these organizations because I do think there will be more virtual organizations in the future because I do think some companies are going to look at this and go, why are we paying for yes. expensive real estate? And there's going to be other people We who don't leave. need to have an office because we still continued to work, right? Yeah. Right. Right. That I mean, I, and again, there are good and bad things about that, but I do think that will happen. I also think new companies, there'll be more virtual organizations that are founded now because people are more comfortable with it as a concept. Yeah. Because you know, I I worked with lots of people who, I mean, there was there were CEOs that I worked with who, um, you know, they wanted they didn't want people working from home because they wanted to be able to walk through the office once a day and see a busy office and had no basis in reality of how we worked, but they wanted to see it i think that um people are going to have their attitudes changed a little bit also though i think users because there are these different users of these services than were there before the users are going to try things and the services are going to see them trying things and that's going to change the game too so an example would be like we take for granted things like slack and uh, dropbox right and google docs Mm -hmm. they've been around a long time but I know not in our listenership necessarily, but like I know other people who are not tech savvy. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people who are using Dropbox to exchange files for the first time. There are a lot yeah, of people yeah. using Google Docs to collaborate on documents for the first time. There are lots of people using Slack to talk to their colleagues for the first time. And that's going to not only, yes, drive usage of those tools, but it's going to change how they get built and change how people work because they're more aware of them. But also I think that things are going to come up and they're going to be like, why does Dropbox do this? And I think Dropbox will learn things and Slack will learn things and, and that will feed into it too. So I would imagine that there were enough people out there that communication collaboration systems were already a big business. But so we primed the pump. But now here's everybody else. And everybody else is going to have different issues and it's going to build a, you know, a bigger business for those companies, but a different business too. And I think that will, that will push them in different ways. Cause like, I think Google docs and Dropbox both seem so basic to us, but like, thank goodness they're there. (laughs) There's a piece that, uh, John Gruber linked to on Daring Fireball from Joshua Topolsky that was basically, thank God for the internet. It's like, I was thinking about that too. Like, I know we're all isolated, but we have the internet to connect us. And and for business, it's such a great example. Like businesses can still run, not all of them, 
But a lot of businesses can still operate entirely because of inter- the internet and because of these collaboration tools. So that part, I- I'm fascinated by, you know, what the end result of that will be. But at the very least, you've got people using collaboration tools who never thought of them before. Which is kind of awesome, isn't it? I think so. I mean, as as a user of those collaboration tools, I, you know, this is... One of those things where the rest of the world is seeing things that you and I have been working with for a while now, um, and I think that's I think that's cool. And there will be good and bad about it. Like I talked to somebody who is related to I'm going to be very vague. Who's related to somebody I know? Um, who <laughs> it, it is? It, you know, you end up being I'm the computer guy. People ask me tech questions, yeah, and it yeah, was a question yeah. about Slack, and they were joining Slack, and it was like should what shouldn't go in slack and I, and i said well if you're if you've got things that you want to say to your colleagues that you don't want the boss to see don't put them in slack <laughs> like, yeah. do that as a send send an i message or something like is, people are going to have to learn stuff like that too that like this belongs and the archives belong to the company yeah. uh and they can so get don't them at any point no, this is that fun point. thing with slack you will be told so everyone is told if the if the archive is accessed, but the archive can be accessed. Yeah. So it's stuff like that that people are going to learn too. But mm-hmm. um, on I, a paid I think account, it's, I think it's great. And and the scrutiny the, to pull back to Zoom for a second, scrutiny by people who are not the usual people in a moment where this stuff is becoming more and more used is going to reveal faults, whether they're usability issues. Or blind spots in the product where they never realized that that was a thing people would want to do until now, or pure security failings like what Zoom has dealt with. Like so much of that is going to come out, and I do believe because I am an optimist, I do believe that these products will be better for it in the long run because they will have been put through the ringer. But in the short run, people are going to you know bash their heads against parts of these products and be like, well, why does it do it this way? And the answer is going to be uh, something that's not uncommon. When you talk about products from big tech companies, which is, uh, we didn't didn't ever think of that. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, well, you got new users now, and you're gonna have to deal. I think that's great. So that was our first big question. Big uh, question. I would like to know if people want to hear more of this type of stuff, and if you do, what do you want us to talk about? It's just something I'm playing around with, because again, it's like we spoke about this before. It's like, how will COVID nineteen change your technology podcasts? Well, at some point, the news might stop. And yeah. we want to continue to entertain you. So this is one way that I hope that we can do it. couple of pieces of news before we do hashtag ask upgrade. It is Apple acquisition season, Jason. So, oh, boy. Uh, last week, you know, you can still buy companies. <laughs> you sure can. <laughs> Apple acquired the weather app and service Dark Sky um, yeah. and is slowly going to be shutting down um, the, the application and the uh, in, on some platforms on Android and the API is being shut down as well. You are a weather person. You like the weather. Um, what like is nobody your take? wants to talk about that. <laughs> what is your take on this news? Um, I like that Apple is looking at a third-party app and service and saying, "Why don't Why don't we have that for their? They have their own weather source that they buy for their weather app. Um, Dark Sky goes way beyond what is available uh, or being used by Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see from that perspective. I can also see from the perspective of potentially letting other weather apps on their platforms have access to the API exclusively. So it makes weather better on Apple platforms. 
Um, I mean, they're, they're shutting it off for Android. So, uh, you know, I think it's just one of those, one of those cases where like Apple could choose to build a better weather app, but they're going to have to go through all the trouble of, of building a better app and making deals with a bunch of data sources and building out this whole backend infrastructure. Or they could just buy dark sky who already did it Mm -hmm. and makes sense to me. Um, and it, it stinks if you're somebody who relies on their data and are on Android, but I think it makes sense and is smart from Apple's perspective. Apple have bought an AI app called Voices to boost natural language processing for Siri. The company focuses on creative, uh, on, on like voice technology to help narrow down searches for shopping items. So, for ex- there was an, uh, an example given in the Bloomberg article that was reporting on this, saying that you would, for example, say, I need a new LED TV and my budget is $1,000, and the assistant would be able to provide a result for that. So, it's doing a lot of like language processing to help mm. narrow search queries. Um, apparently, the the you know the, the the tech that this company's built can be like squeezed down to twenty five megabytes and, and put on a device. So it's like it seems to be pretty powerful natural language processing that can be shrunk down and put onto devices. Like this is the thing that like Google try talks about and tries to do a lot, right? That they want to shrink down the assistant and put it on phones, right? And they do that on Pixel phones so that the the processing is faster. Uh, so that's one. Um, do you have anything extra on that? It's interesting. I'm pleased to see that they're trying to do more to make series comprehension better. That's what I was going to say is I, I think we can all agree that spending money to get technology to make Siri work better is good. Yeah. We all want to see that, right? You want to see, you love to see it. Uh, and they're also rumored to be buying a company called Next VR. Next VR provides VR experiences for live events. So they're, they're most popular for filming sporting events, so you can watch them at home on your VR headset. Sounds super weird, right? Why would Apple want this company? Like, I'm mm. familiar with them. Like, um, they do this with like wrestling events and stuff. They'll put like cameras on the, the posts, the ring posts, and you can watch. It's like, what, you know, it's very strange, but it's a thing. Turns out NextVR holds a large series of patents around virtual reality streaming. So their patent portfolio could potentially be of interest for any company that wants to be involved in virtual reality. So maybe that's more than Apple wants to do VR streaming of basketball games. Like that would be peculiar, but if they hold patents for streaming of virtual reality, like that might be a thing that you you might want to own going into the future. I hear that Tim is bullish on AR, but uh, maybe VR too. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not wild to imagine um, that any any kind of virtual reality stuff could also be AR-based. Like, th- these things can go together, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think Apple have move, made some moves into VR, right? We've seen it, right? Like, do you remember when they had that demo at WWC with the with the Darth Vader thing yeah. a few years ago. So they, they want to do it, and every company's looking at it, at least, in case it is that next frontier. All right, let's finish up the show, as we always do, with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. But before we do that, let me thank our final sponsor today, Squarespace. You can make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create that website that you've been thinking about for your next idea or project. With Squarespace, you can super easily 
register a unique domain name, customize and take advantage of beautiful award-winning templates that are so easy to make look your own, but also are just like really excellently positioned for you to just start immediately. And they have so much more available to you. You can very easily add on the online store functions. You want to sell physical or digital goods, you can do that with Squarespace and they have a bunch of integrations with other services and platforms to allow you to do that really easily. If you want to create a blog or maybe you want to make a site for an event or for something important that's going on in your life, they have all of the tools to do that. They are an all-in-one platform that will let you take care of it. There is nothing to install or patch or upgrade. Squarespace have got you covered and they back it up with 24-7 customer support. I have been using Squarespace for a decade now because this week, Jason, Mike Hurley has been podcasting for 10 years and my first podcast website was built on Squarespace. So... I know now that I have been using Squarespace for 10 years to build wow. my own websites and I continue to today. So I have a website called uh, called thethemesystem.com and I built it on Squarespace for a project that me and Gray have been working on on Cortex. So super easy to do. I go to Squarespace because I don't know how to build websites, don't want to learn, but I can use Squarespace because it's super simple to do. So you can go and sign up for a trial today at squarespace.com slash upgrade. And you can build your entire website on this trial. And then when you're ready to launch it to the world, you sign up for one of their plans. That You can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show by using the offer code UPGRADE. That is squarespace.com slash UPGRADE and the code UPGRADE to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of this show, Relay FM, and for helping me understand how to build and put things online. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. That does mean as well that Squarespace have been sponsoring my shows pretty much every week for like eight or nine years now at this point. So I love you, Squarespace. (laughs) Thank you. Hashtag ask upgrade. First question comes from Greg. And Greg wants to know, is it possible in macOS to have a folder in the dock with apps in it like you can on iPadOS? Um, Sure. Although I generally don't recommend that you take apps out of the applications folder. That's but you the can problem, make a, isn't it? So, so you make a folder mm-hmm. and you make aliases of those mm-hmm. apps in that folder and put that folder in the dock. And then you got you it. You could do the launch pad thing, right? But that's not, I don't think that's what you want to do, right? Because that's every app then. Yeah, you, you don't want to live do in the dock. You don't want to do you don't that, do that. But like in your documents folder or something, make a, um, make a folder for your stuff. Mm-hmm. And and then you do it's command option drag I think uh will make a, an alias just drag command option drag the apps into that folder and then you drag that I'm doing it right now in fact and then you drag that folder into your dock and look you got a bunch of uh, apps that pop up and you can have it be one of those little stacks or however you want to view it and and then you click on them and they launch so that's the way to do it I would say is aliases keep it clean. I like this uh, question because from Greg because I, I like the idea of a Mac feature that went to the iPad and now wanting to replicate an iPad function on the Mac feature, which is the dock back on macOS. I just like that back to the Mac nature of it all. Casper mm. says, Mike, what about using a Mac Mini as a recording Mac? It's not as portable as a laptop, but you're adding a monitor and keyboard anyway. So just a bit of context in case you're not familiar with this. 
when I am allowed to go back to my studio, uh, I wanted to have separate computers. So when I'm able to get that set up, so I would be having my iMac Pro to do all of my editing and heavy work on. And then I want to record on a separate desk, which is more sound isolated and use a, com- a different computer for that. And I'd planned on using a laptop for it. Now, I understand the idea of a Mac Mini because I'm going to have a keyboard, mouse, and monitor anyway. So why not use a Mac Mini so it would be a permanent system and it can maybe have a bit more power in it. But one of the reasons I want to use a laptop for this is so then when I travel, I take the same machine that I'm recording on all the time that is set up for recording. I take that machine with me. Uh, That is my thinking. Who knows how this will play out if it ever plays out. Hmm. Uh, but but that's that's kind of the route that that i'm going with is wanting to replace to a laptop and and i am thinking now jason still that macbook air is probably the right move for me i think just like price power wise i think that's that's what i'm going to be looking at but not anytime soon Uh, seth asks my family is on a shared account in settings and bluetooth all of my kids airpods and beats headphones and mine are in there i don't want them in there when I click remove, it says it will remove all of the devices on a shared iCloud account. Any advice? Seth, you need to move to an iCloud family. Yep, that's it. I know you don't want to hear it, but Apple is very strict on this now. They don't, they're not interested in building features that make it easy or convenient for uh, you to put every device in your entire family on one Apple ID. They mm-hmm. want you to have different Apple IDs for the different people and have them be in a family. And if that doesn't work for you, then you're just going to have to deal with having all those devices in your Bluetooth menu. Yep. But the, what Apple wants you to do is create, you know, for your kids, you create kids' Apple IDs and tie them into the family, and then you can authorize them and set them up however you want. But that's, for the last, like, three or four years, that has been Apple's whole standard. So you just, that's the answer. And yeah. I switched to a nightclub family plan uh, a couple of months ago, and I would say... It's, it's fantastic. I have no, it was easy to do and I have no personal downsides. Maybe if you like do Apple Music, you would need to pay a little bit more for it. Um, that's one. I will include in the show notes a link to Mac Power Users episode 522, where Stephen and David talk about iCloud family sharing. In case you want to get a refresher on this, Seth, or other listeners out there, if you're thinking of doing this. But the problem is, it is all tied to one iCloud account, which I'll say is great. It's a great feature of AirPods, right? That like I pair it with one device and it's on all my devices. But if you're sharing a a whole like, if you're sharing one account with a lot of different people, well, everyone's going to connect to everybody else's devices. Like that's just the way it is. Ben says, with a lot of fake news being spread regarding 5G, like the ridiculous conspiracy theories that it's causing coronavirus resulting in people <laughs> setting 5G masks on fire in the UK, do you think that this will affect Apple's adoption of the technology? I got this, Mike. Okay, go on. No. I only included this question in the show because I wanted to talk about this real quick. Just in okay. case there is anybody out there who believes this or He's knows someone. right over my no, but yeah, okay, yeah, let's talk about it. Right? Let's break it down. It's just purely like this idea is absolutely crazy. Like it's crazy, it's baseless, and it's it's madness. Like this yeah. idea, Pe- like people. I can't, oh my god, people want to have. 
feel like they have control of their lives and uh-huh. that they can understand what's going on. And under stress and under pressure, they will make irrational, they'll believe irrational things and do irrational things. And there was already this undercurrent of kind of not even remotely uh, supported by any information. In fact, where people were convinced that 5G was causing health problems. So it was very easy to port that over and blame a virus on cell phone towers. Um, Those it's 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 bad and wrong. And those people are to be I'm frustrated with those people, but I think they're also to be kind of pitied. And maybe shame, help, like, helped uh, uh, if they yeah. can be because they believe a a ridiculous thing um, and they're wrong and they think that it's going to make a difference in the, their lives and it's not going to and it may put them in harm and other people in harm's way. So it's a real shame and uh, and it's not real and 5G is not going to be affected. 5G rollout is not going to be affected by um, weird people who believe weird things that is not that that have no basis in reality. Yeah, I can't can't help but feel sorry for people in these situations, right? Because they're like they're desperate. I get it, right? Like they're desperate, so they'll believe something because it might mean that this can go away quickly. Like if we turn off five G, it's going to get rid of this. But like that's it's not true, and it's it's upsetting. But also, I just wanted to bring it up as like a just in case anyone was kind of thinking it out there, or like you've heard someone mention it. Please, like this is a this is a wild thing and these yeah. types of these types of distractions are not helpful for people in times like this right like it's not going to help us get through this because yeah. that's not the solution to this problem the solution mm-hmm. is stay at home just stay that's at right. home stay at home if you stay at home we're going to be good for the record you know what causes covid-19 is there was a virus that was in a a bat and or maybe a pangolin and there was a market and it transmitted to people mm-hmm. and it turns out that people could transmit it to one another and that they're asymptomatic they don't show any symptoms but can still spread it for the first few days of having it or perhaps longer and then it went from person to person that's how it happened because that's how viruses emerge and uh they will continue to do so and this one is particularly because it is novel it is not something we have any immunity to and so the solution since we don't know who has it necessarily because unless you've got a, a an advanced testing regime which most countries don't have is to stay inside and and wash your hands and uh if you go out stay six feet away from everybody and wear a mask if you can uh or especially if you're in close quarters but you should still try to keep your distance from other people that that's it like that's it i know everybody wants there to be more and, and and bigger picture and stuff like that. Um, but that's it. That's literally it. There is no secret cabal. There is no secret technology. There is no conspiracy. It's, you know, this is a, a tale as old as time. I mean, literally, it is a plague. It They happen. Mm-hmm. They are terrible. We'll get through it. Do what you can. Just Just, just follow the rules, right? Like, yeah. Not necessarily the rules of your government, like the rules of the World Health Organization. But CDC, but five five G yeah. phones are going to be fine. Is what I'm saying. Five G yeah. phones. Are there's be. one thing we've learned from this: five G phones are going to be yeah. fine. Yeah, uh, be and fine. finally, today, Johan asks, "Do you speed up podcasts?" Um, when I'm recording them, or <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, if I need or, tea, then possibly. That, that I, I sometimes I have to slow them down. Um. 
Uh, I listen to most podcasts that I listen to at slightly faster, very slightly, like one tick up on Overcast with smart speed turned on. Um, so slightly faster. There are occasionally podcasts that I will speed up. If I'm way behind on podcasts, like I kind of am now, I will sometimes speed it up another tick. Although I find that that makes some podcasts ludicrously fast and I will set those to still play at a slower speed. The podcast that I truly cherish, I play, I actually play at one X with smart speed because I don't want it to end and I'm willing to take it slow. Like the flop house, I usually listen to at one X, but, um, but there are other podcasts where it's like, yeah, the 1.1 1. 1 or 1. 1.2 or whatever it is. That's mine. That's mine. So I do, I do. Um, but not a lot. I know there are people out there who listen to two X and all this. Like I, I, I feel like in that point, like bless you. Cause you're listening to a lot of podcasts, but at the same time, I feel like I'm starting to miss even above 1.1. 1. 1, I'm starting to miss the timing of everything. And if all you're really doing is, is getting information, then that's great. But you start to miss the timing of the conversation. And I don't like that. So I keep it, keep it slight. Yeah, I I am one X with smart speed or silent skipping, uh, just because that's just how I've always been. I used to be like a speed purist, right? Like I was, uh, do not listen, like please don't listen to my shows faster than one point five or whatever. But I've kind of I've 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 grown up and I've I've grown out of yeah. that because honestly, like could, people use silent skipping, like you know, and that even could be a, a like it can be a frustration to me because there are shows where like I'm editing them really particularly and I am putting the spaces in yeah, and the spaces are just, uh, just like, taken out. And like, it's like, if, oh, if you're listening to this in smart speed at, at 1.5 X, that thing where I said, no, that killed at 1.0 with no smart speed. That was the funniest thing in this whole episode, but you kind of missed it. Cause oh, we, okay. just, <laughs> we just, we just, we just blew on past it. Cause that was all about like timing and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Now I agree with you. Um, what I always have said, and I believe this is, um, my podcasts are made for one X and you can do what you want with them, but like their support, the supported speed is one X. I make it to sound right at one X and then you can do what you like with it. And people listen really fast and that's fine. That's fine. But what I don't do is think oh now how's this going to work in smart speed and what's it going to sound like at 1.2 and i'm just i'm not going to do that i that that i'm not going to do that's take it into your own hands and make Mm -hmm. your own judgments also we never ever 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 need to hear again when we're live in person or if that ever happens again or on a live stream i never need to hear it again that we sound talk so slowly at 1x no i don't no i don't this is how i actually speed (laughs) you listen so quickly (laughs) <laughs> oh i have to remember that i have to try and re- no no you listen too fast that's that's what it is if you'd like to send in a question for a future episode just send out a tweet with the hashtag ask upgrade we'd love to get some more of these i kind of run a little low right now uh, so ask anything you want uh, especially like uh, stuff about working at home me and jason have been doing it for five years at least right so we, we have tips we have to share i will say but about anything technology related or whatever you want just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, and they're collected up into a document, so please send some of those in. 
Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Linode, Pingdom, and Eero. If you want to find Jason's work online, he is at JasonL, J-S-N-E-L-L, and you can find his work writing over at sixcolors.com. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you, thank you, as always, so much for listening to this show. Uh, we genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. If you want to support the show, you can become a Relay FM member. You go to relay.fm slash membership. But there's also a link in your uh, show notes of this episode to support Upgrade. If you feel f- like you would like to do that, we would appreciate it. If not, totally cool. Uh, don't forget, stay inside, wash your hands, all that fun stuff. We're going to get through this together as long as we keep listening to podcasts. Am I right, Jason? Yep. Thanks so much for listening. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.